a psalm of David. Hello, this is Sarah Denordwell with The Bardcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be sharing a moment of Bard School on air with you because this is the time in the week, our Bardic moment, where we learn to be inspired by the Bards of Ireland of the 8th century because they were called to speak truth to the king without fear and also they were worth the king's ransom. And for Christians, we're worth the king's ransom too, Christ the king. And I love the fact that we too can be creative, speak into our culture and learn from the ways in which they were taught and the things that they were called to do. And one of the things they were called to do was to make music that brought joy, sorrow and sleep. And those of you who, uh, like me, are struggling to sleep at night at the moment, perhaps because of an illness, will know that sleep is a beautiful thing. Um, But sorrow, why would you want to bring sorrow? Well, I think sorrow opens the heart, doesn't it, even more, perhaps to prepare it for the experience of joy. And um, I'm going to actually begin the podcast because for those of you who haven't heard before, I give a word prompt, um, a poetry prompt at the end to encourage you to write and then listeners send in their poems, uh, sometimes songs. And uh, it's just a wonderful way of getting creativity, contemplative creativity going. Now, this particular listener is called Alice Heens. And when we did the uh, Sing a New Song podcast, in which I encouraged people to write songs, even if they couldn't write music or write lyrics, uh, but they could put an old tune or a new tune to an old song, she sang for us a beautiful uh, version of The um, the King of Love My uh, Shepherd Is and uh, to an old folk tune, and it was absolutely ravishing. Anyway, she uh, and I were having a conversation (laughs) about sleeplessness at night and she said, oh, an idea has sprung into my head. (laughs) She called it The Devil is in the Duvet. And I'm going to read you her poem because it's delightful. And I love the way she goes straight into a mythic dimension and then brings it around to something entirely new at the end. The atmosphere is very swiftly and interestingly created. Here it is. The Devil is in the Duvet. For nights and nights I've turned and tossed, running to dark crevices where the minotaur lurks, ready to gouge me with regret, reproach and shame. Nighttime is when I exercise my pitter-patter feet through the labyrinth of statues and paintings, obscured to grimaces in the extinguishing light. In the midst of midnight metamorphosis, my dimmed eyes perceive a blue thread winnowing in my palm and winding back I come to rest in the mother's arms I just thought that was absolutely fantastic the way she names that experience of perhaps being distressed in at the night time and then finding it at last a moment of prayer I just thought that was beautiful and night time 
is a really different time, isn't it, spiritually? People speak about being woken at three in the morning to pray. And uh, if you wake up at three in the morning and you go to YouTube, you'll often find, if you've woken up at three in the morning, why don't you pray this prayer? <laughs> so even YouTube knows you're awake. Um, but there, it is a special time. And I love the idea of mystical time expressed in different cultures. So, for instance, my housemate, Hamad, whom you often have uh, heard about, told me that in classical Indian music, um, they have different ragas or scales that, you know, create particular kinds of musical tonality or tunes for different times of the day. So he said, you wouldn't play a raga for the morning that was written for the evening. I thought that was so beautiful and sensitive. And another beautiful thing I heard about time this week was from um, my naval friend, uh, naval chaplain, Father Sam Burke. And he sent me uh, a WhatsApp from his ship where he's posted right now. And it was an article from The Lamp magazine featuring his favorite South Korean philosopher. Trusted Dominican to have a favorite South Korean philosopher. Anyway, um, apparently this philosopher's called Bayung Chul Han, so we'll call him Han for now, and in a, one of his books called The Scent of Time, he has a beautiful poetic chapter that speaks about the traditional Chinese incense clock that measures time through fragrance. And apparently they use this beautiful system of stone seals, sometimes metal seals with beautiful patterns embedded with incense, which they know will burn at a particular rate. And it measures time by slowly burning through also this patterned arrangement of incense that's then placed in a small lattice-covered box. And so time is measured by the changing of fragrance. <laughs> just absolutely gorgeous. Now, if anybody would like to write a poem this week, including an incense clock as a metaphor from the 11th century, apparently, um, I found out on Wikipedia, they actually go right back earlier than that to Indian temple incense clocks. I would be so happy. So here is the language of mystical time evoked through the senses. And as we are absolutely in the season of thinking about the incarnation, and I think this podcast comes out on Christmas Eve, what a lovely moment to think about the holy dimension of time. Now, Christian mystics have told us that Christmas Day is the one on which the most souls leave purgatory and go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? So there are very specific times um, as we know from our Jewish past, festivals when particular blessings are available. I remember being at Shabbos in uh, Jerusalem and the rabbi saying, ah, to be at Shabbos in Yerushalayim, the blessings we are receiving. Oh, you could feel them. Now, I think that our imaginations and our sensitivities are given to us by God to help us glimpse the intangible glory uh, that is then expressed through physical things. Oh, I have to tell you something about um, Jerusalem. I was There's a part of Jerusalem where you can wander around and go and talk to Orthodox Jews about their faith and find out about things that normally you might not know. So I was asking them about the uh, altar of incense uh, which was in the temple that worshipped God. Of course, we have our beautiful frankincense and different types of incense in our liturgical worship too because it's derived from temple worship. 
But did you know this? And this is a lovely thing to involve in a poem, I think, that there were apparently, according to this Jewish man, 10 types of incense that they would burn on the altar that smelt sweet, you know, and including frankincense and kasher and myrrh. But there had also to be an 11th incense burnt or the offering would not be received favorably by God. And that incense smelt really awful on purpose. The idea being that all of experience was to be offered up to God in the same way as the stranger was to be welcomed. Everything had to be included. And I thought that was a wonderful and profound image uh, to tell you about. God is always explaining himself to us and his character to us through the things that he asked us to do. Now, I want to do one more poem, actually, from this lovely listener, Alice Heens, who's also a bard of the Bard School and uh, a beautiful singer, as you've heard. But she wrote me a lovely poem, just thanking me for the encouragement she'd received to write her beautiful stories and now poems. And I'm going to read this to you because, again, it's a lovely example of the opening of the heart and mentions woods. And those who've heard my CD, Lipstick is a Spiritual Experience, will know that one of the biggest experiences of my life that blessed me the most was spending time with flamenco dancing hermits, allegedly, in a wood in Nova Scotia who take a vow of leisure and the, and going there and knowing that it was a good wood. That sense of the goodness and beauty of a Narnia-like experience of the world. A good wood. The woods are the places where we go to find out who we are and what our soul is telling us. Again, here we are at Christmas time. Advent into Christmas is an entering into a time of mystical and spiritual depth. Here's her lovely poem, You Once Told Me. You once told me that poems go ahead of us. They map the road as yet uncharted, the deep woods of the heart, the unspoken places. The road is dark, yet I have my torch, each word a footprint in which I can place mine, each step bringing me closer, further in and further out, like the tides of the sea. Such is the mystery of God. As we draw in, he draws us out. You once told me that poems are like extensions in which dreams undreamt can grow and be sown. The word is a womb, concealing and revealing the places in our hearts we had long abandoned. So, let us come once again to that forgotten garden. Pull back the ivy and dare to enter in. Isn't that beautiful? The final image of the secret garden, the garden of the heart. And daring to enter in at this moment of Christmas Eve and Christmas Tide, of course, reminds us of the difference between two caves. There's the caves of Plato, uh, the cave of Plato in which all we experience is illusions, derivative versions of reality, the non-things, actually, that that Korean philosopher 
<clears throat> that Father Sam likes talk about, he talks about in his books, moving from the non-things to the real things. And here, when we enter into the cave of Bethlehem, here, the absolutely real, the divine, is presented to us in human form. And what is the heart of this gift? Well, all of us might taste, feel, smell, experience, relate to this gift differently, month by month, year by year, Christmas by Christmas. But one of the things that strikes me the most is the gift of innocence, how innocence is restored to the human race. Now, <clears throat> the whole story of this gift was offered to me again by a listener this week, uh, my lovely friend Mary, who lives in Wells. And she was inspired by hearing Sister Miriam uh, on the Bardcast mention the serum rite or serum use, S-A-R-U-M, an old liturgy, Anglo-Saxon Norman inspired from the 11th century, in which... Um, there were beautiful and different ways of doing things, including having a six-week advent. And she said, Sarah, don't you know there's a serum rosary? Oh, well, I was so happy to hear about that. And I'm going to read you three verses of it because there's a little Latin poem, you can find it on the inter internet, between every single Hail Mary. And it tells the whole story of salvation. And I had the good fortune to go to a school where... We had to work very hard at our Latin. It wasn't a Catholic school, but I think they were preparing us to go and study medicine or law or something. Anyway, these little verses are gorgeous and they're each little poems. And Latin is fantastic for poetry. It's really easy to make things rhyme. And um, I'm just going to read you maybe a couple of verses because, again, it's the little details that bring fresh things out. This is called the Golden Rosary. And you might like to pray it over Christmas tide uh, together. Apparently, Father John Hermitage prayed it during lockdown, uh, you know, live from Walsingham. So it's all perfectly, perfectly good to do. Now, what that verse shall I do? Forgive me if my pronunciation is not perfect. I'm just making it up. But this is lovely. Um, so... So here's something. He whom with solemn worship the angels did praise and a song of peace and joy on earth did raise. He whom the shepherds did acknowledge as the shepherd of us all when they did find their Lord lying in a manger. Here's it in Latin. Que magno cum tripudio angeli laudaverunt pacemque cum gaudio in terris cecinerunt. Quem pastorem omnium pastores cognoverunt, dum in praesipe dominum, iacente in venerunt. If you read it out aloud and pray it aloud in Latin, your heart, I promise you, will be filled with joy and delight. So, and also another good reason to pray in Latin is that the devil hates it. I was listening to an exorcist say that on, the, on the internet that the devil hates Latin because it's the language he's most been cast out in. Isn't that great? Now, now we turn to the poem that, um, uh, one of mine, that I'd love to share with you. And it came to me last December the 24th when I was feeling so ill with COVID I was lying in bed and I just couldn't even move my head to the side to hear on my laptop dear father 
um, James Mary praying for the sick in Walsingham and he was naming the sick and he mentioned uh, the names of the people in the village who had COVID really badly and he mentioned my name and I was so blessed. There's something glorious, isn't there? In the church, the most powerless are right back at the centre of God's heart. In fact, there's only one place in the church, isn't there, which is at the centre of God's heart. And you might know that Mother Teresa, for every religious sister that she sent out into the field to work with the poorest of the poor, she found a sick person to pray for them. And this she called the golden chain. And this is the power of our powerlessness through grace. Anyway, this poem strolled into my head as I was lying in bed and I just had to drag myself out of bed and write it down. So there's never any excuse not to write poetry. <laughs> Illness, lack of time, no excuses. I must have been thinking about 12-step programs, which are a fascinating way um, You've probably all heard of AA, but there are 200 different ones for different things in life. And there are ways in which people who struggle with powerlessness, powerlessness over compulsions, sounds like St. Paul, right? Maybe, you know, who struggled with something that only grace could help him with. Um, they learn to admit that they are powerless, but that's okay, because there's a power greater than they are who can restore them to sanity. Thank God for that. And then after making an inventory of past failings, and examining how it damaged themselves and others, they can begin that process of letting go of the shame, stepping out to make amends, taking constant inventory and leading a life of more self-awareness and freedom. What a blessing. And apparently this gift of the Holy Spirit um, was given to a couple of people, one of whom had a spiritual director who was a Jesuit, Father Dowling. And that's why it has such a beautiful Christian shape to it, this long but gentle process of gradual letting go of shame. Shame is the devil's instrument. It's completely different to the conviction that moves us forwards into repentance and freedom. So here's my poem, my Christmas poem. I hope you enjoy it. Um, that mysteriously strolled into my head. And if you think about it, this gift of innocence that strikes us so strangely and marvellously comes from the fact that God became sin. That's what it says in the Bible. He chose to become sin. And that meant he was loaded down with all the shame that we, we can't bear, even a bit of shame. You know, even the shame of not having done your homework makes you run away from your teacher the next day. Shame is terrible. Ugh throwing off the burden of guilt, ah, oh, the joy of confession. So this poem, I think, just took Christmas through the image of the recovery of the 12-step process, and I hope it brings something fresh to your vision of Christmas, the one who came to give us in perfect exchange his innocence for our guilt. Long ago... He too walked down the 12 steps. Long ago, he too walked down the 12 steps from eternal sunshine through fog and cold into materiality, choosing humility over the pride of empires. Taking powerlessness as an opening chapter, he came without compulsion and handed himself over to us into the arms of the poor to restore us to sanity. 
It happened gradually, gently but powerfully. Nothing to see here at first but the long, long inventory, the tax owed to oppressive regimes of the heart and mind, taking its headcount in the dark. Till suddenly, and miraculously, the star rises, and the face of divinity is revealed in the midst of absolute squalor. The centre is at the margin. The margin is at the centre. And further down he comes, ready to receive the weight and pressure of every defect of character and call them his own if it will help us breathe again. And all of those who seemed least likely to expect a welcome, the ones that slept outside for work or looked to stars for answers to the ultimate questions, found themselves directed to his door by spiritual intervention. No one more surprised than those the world had harmed without apology or those who hurt themselves without relent to find themselves so reassured by this incomprehensible descent, uplifted by so high an opening in the roof of time that let in this so small, so uncontainable spiritual awakening. So there it is. Long ago, he too walked down the 12 steps. My prompt for you this week is related to the idea of what's called in poetry a conceit. The idea that you take an image that seems completely unrelated to something and then you bring it into relationship to the thing itself and reveal fresh dimensions of it. So like you take a 12-step program and compare it to the incarnation, for instance. <laughs> um, so an easy way to do this, I think, if you want to write a poem about the tenderness of your experience of Advent and Christmas, why don't you just find some beautiful things, objects and rituals that you're already doing at Christmas time and compare them directly to an aspect of the Christian mystery. For instance, Sister Miriam sent me a lovely text in which she was saying, I'm in a whirl of chocolate making, liturgy and community life. I thought, what a life, that's so gorgeous. You should have that on a kind of vocations day poster. Um, but if you take something like, I'm stirring the chocolate and I'm thinking, blah, 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 blah. I'm picking up the, uh, the, the decoration, the, the, the cotton wool covered ornament that my sister made when she was three and putting it on the tree and remembering. There are all sorts of lovely details that are totally personal to your life and your experience of Christmas uh, that can reveal things that you don't even know you're really thinking about until you write them down. And uh, I, I think it would be very beautiful to hear them. People can often think that poetry is about broad brushstroke ideas, but in fact, it's about little details, incarnational details that share the absolute personal experience that you have of living in this marvelous, mysterious, mystical world. So I hope you have a blessed, blessed Christmas time. Thank you for spending time with me in the podcast this week, which is our moment for bringing poems old and new right to the cutting edge of the modern world, because the cutting edge is grace. I hope if you'd like to carry on learning more, some of you might like to join me 
uh, for my Write in the Light online course for writing and creating called Starlight to Candlemas that begins in January. So just send me an email with your poems or your desires to be on a course and it's sarah at sarahdenordwell.com and you can take a look at my website sarahdenordwell.com and if I've become very organised, which I may or may not be, it might even be updated. (laughs) So uh, a very happy Christmas tide and uh, much love from me. A Psalm of David Behold, he neither sleeps nor slumbers, the guardian of Israel. Israel. Uh,